It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's amazing how many unintelligent people look. They're an absolute astonishment. What is the matter with these people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, they've just released details of that fine central bank fining B of I. 100.5 million euro for its part in the tracker mortgage scandal. 100.5 million euro. That will form part of the news agenda for the rest of the day. You can be sure of it. Good morning. 0818 96 96 96 is the number. Text or WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Beautiful morning. Cold morning. But a beautiful morning and a beautiful morning to get to Cove if you have the chance. Jimmy was on. He says, you've got to see this thing, uh, PJ. It's the MC, the MSC Virtuoso tied up at the key wall in Cove. It was built at 770 million euro it cost. It carries over 6,300 passengers. The crew is over 1,700. That's like 8,000 people on board. It's, it's in for the short four-day cruise around Ireland and the UK. It has 21 bars. Jimmy has all this information for me. 21 bars. One of them has a robotic barman called Rob. You see? And apparently he tells jokes and does a little dance now and again. And it's probably better entertainment than some barmen you'd find, I guess. But it's there until 5 o'clock. And Jimmy says it is literally towering over the town. I'd love to get a photo of that if anybody's in Cove. You know, a great place to take a picture would be down there by the Garda station as you head down into the into the town. Although I know sometimes they won't let you park there when there is a cruise liner in port. But that looks like a monster 
and a beautiful morning to get a picture of it if you can. We'd love to see that. 0818 96 96 96. The number of text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. We'll come back to the budget this morning on a number of different fronts and a number of different levels. I will be speaking later in the hour with Minister Simon Coveney. You know, the devil's in the details, so stuff starts to emerge in the 24 or 36 hours after the budget is first announced. And we'll talk to uh, Simon Coveney about those matters and others. Around uh, about the half nine mark, and if you have any questions you'd like me to put to him, uh, then you can send them into the usual number. But this one yesterday, this kind of got lost yesterday in budget coverage, but we said we'd come back to it straight away this morning. And this is a freedom of information request that was sent in to HSE about waiting times in hospitals, in emergency departments, and both the Mercy and CUH fared very, very badly. They fared particularly badly in dealing with the over-75s who waited an average of almost 10 hours in EDs between January and July of this year. The average time was seven and a half and then up to 10 at times. 12 hours at the Mercy was the average, 11 hours in Tala. CUH wasn't much better, uh, 14 hours. 14 hours, 16 hours, 12 hours, 11 hours, seven hours. Long, long waits, particularly for the elderly between January and July of this year. All this information has come out from HSE following freedom of information requests. HSE saying it regrets patients may experience long waiting times, but the sickest and most urgent cases are prioritised, to which one would say, well, I should bloody hope so. Then yesterday, the trolley watch figures were out with more information to pile into this. Yesterday, there was 529 people on trolleys around the country, 88 of them at Cork University Hospital, which was an overcrowding record for CUH. This is only the 28th or 29th, today's the 29th of September. These numbers are peak winter numbers. So people are scared stiff. The nursing unions calling for a special task force for Cork alone to take a look at this. I caught up with a man who knows this stuff backwards, inside out and sideways. I speak, of course, of Dr. Chris Luke. Dr. Chris Luke, these figures, they're not new, Chris. They're just getting worse. You say, and you've said to me before, all of these things, we know why they happen. That's right, PJ. I mean, they're very depressing, really. Uh, they're depressing because they've been uh, relentlessly, you know, deteriorating over the last 20, 25 years. Uh, and we know that there is no prospect of the, the lengthening waiting times for the elderly, for the young, uh, getting any better in the near future because there are, you know, there are big, big structural problems afoot at the moment. We know that primary care, you know, our GP services are, are shrinking as more and more uh, of, uh, more and more middle-aged GPs are retiring, many of them taking early retirement because of the stress and burnout that, they, that we've heard so much about. Uh, there are also many other issues that drive uh, our emergency, over, emergency department over 
overcrowding. You know, we've all heard this this mantra. You know, if you're being when you're being discharged from the hospital, oh, if you have any problems, Mrs. O'Reilly, just pop down to the A&E department. Mm. And that, for example, is a massive driver. We we seem to be the the, the, the follow up automatic review service for every single other service in 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 the health system, which of course can't continue. We have lot of people increasingly who are young or students or people who are you know not really they're not from Cork, but they're based in one of the universities or mm. one of the higher institutions uh, and so on who come, tend to come to the emergency department because they don't have primary care locally. Uh, we have the migrants, we have the homeless, uh, and on and on and on mm. it goes. So, you know, the, 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 what, what we thought things were bad before the, epi- the, the pandemic, uh, and we've had many reports in the local press about people, you know, children being treated on the floor of CUHED. Uh, uh, but, but since then, things have got even worse because we've now heard of increases of the like of 20% yeah. increase since the pandemic in terms of emergency department attendances all around the island. The funneling of everything into CUH after five o'clock, that cannot help, surely? No. I mean, that is uh, the funneling of everything, uh, PJ. I mean, the funneling of all conceivable health conditions into our emergency departments is basically the reason why they're so permanently overcrowded. Other access to our health system has got to be uh, increased. So we have to have more access on the part of general practitioners uh, to imaging, to scans, for example, to x-rays. We need to have more access to minor injuries. So people need to be able to perhaps book or semi-book appointments with, uh, for example, the local injury units in, in Bantry or Mallow or, or Grona Broher. We know that these units provide a super service, uh, you know, within, let's say, eight to eight. But, the, you know, there needs to be an increased provision of those by employing and training more advanced nurse practitioners who do such wonderful work. But we need lots of other types of access. We need much more access, for example, to oncology patients. You know, oncology patients of all patients mm. should not be directed back to an emergency department if yeah. they have an issue after their chemo. They, they need to be able to go back straight to the oncology ward or the oncology specialist nurse or the oncology clinics. And on and on it goes. To put it mildly, it's extremely exasperating for the emergency department staff all around this country and all around this city who have to constantly uh, review or pick up the pieces after, you know, after patients who have been discharged from the same hospital or another hospital recently uh, and they're being they're told you know, routinely to come to the emergency department. I don't know if people appreciate it. That it's simply unfair yeah. on the patients to have to you know, re- reiterate, repeat their story umpteen times to a new nurse, a new doctor, a new nurse, a new doctor, you know, every sort of 15 minutes or every hour or so, uh, when all their details, all their treatment uh, information is up the house, you know, in a clinic or on a ward. Uh, And, you know, it really, we have to move away from this business of absolutely everything coming into the emergency department. The solutions, Chris Luke, are they managerial or political or both? Both. Yeah, no, we, we need the resourcing of, you know, extra, for example, we need to have more advanced nurse practitioners. Uh, these are these are autonomous, expert, master's level nurses who can treat, you know, almost any kind of in injury in which you walk in and walk out. So any kind of minor fracture of a limb or ankle sprain, shoulder injuries, sports injuries, wounds, 
all sorts of stuff. The stuff that's done regularly, day in, day out, at the local injury unit in Grona Broker, mm. it's done so well. And you hear so many people saying what a great experience they had, surprisingly, uh, up in Grona Broker. So that needs to be expanded. And that means training more nurses. Uh, and that means funding the training. Because a lot of nurses want to do this work. Uh, and we're crying out for the, for the nurses to be trained and, and to be employed lo- locally to do that sort of work. We need to uh, accelerate the provision of, of extra x-ray and, and scanning facilities in the city so that uh, general practitioners have access to, to, to this kind of imaging for their patients before they go to the emergency department. I mean, if you have a patient who's not that bad, you know, is not in terrible distress, is not bleeding loudly, you know, as, as we say, uh, they can often be, uh, have, an, have an x-ray arranged by the, the family doctor. Uh, and if there's an issue, then that can then be perhaps, uh, we, we need rapid access appointments. I used to run a rapid access clinic in the Mercy, for instance. Yeah. So if uh, somebody had an injury uh, in, in Barley Cove or Yall Strand on a, on a Sunday, you know, uh, they could be referred to me on the following Tuesday or Wednesday because the thing is, PJ, you know, most injuries and in fact most medical issues and most mishaps can be managed, you know, by appointment a day or two or even three later after the mishap or the injury has occurred. And we need to make much more use of, of appoint, appointment, appointment systems in rapid access clinics and, and so on. Is there a case to be made, you've mentioned St Mary's more than once, is there a case to be made for an equivalent on the south side of the river? Oh, very much so. Very much so. You know, I, I'd love to see one. I, I don't know whether the South Infirmary would be would be appropriate because, as you know, the parking is yeah. a bit congested there in terms of the streets. But, you know, we, we can all imagine uh, the sort of polyclinics that exist increasingly uh, around, let's say, uh, the Mahan area. There's the space there and that general direction. There's lots of, of pretty fancy buildings out that way and, 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 you know, brand new facilities and buildings going up the whole time. I would imagine something uh, in, in that general direction or, or even perhaps Frankfurt or somewhere like that uh, and I think that, that would be a very very welcome development but uh, you know as I say we just need a bit of imagination PJ we need a little bit of funding that's targeted and uh, yeah. you know I, I think with a bit of constructive planning uh, you know, many of these issues many of the overcrowded uh, departments could be decongested yeah I mean you've talked many times and you put it in your book about how the distress of this the distress of the fear of someone facing maybe at the mercy a 12 to 14 hour wait that makes them sicker than they ever were anyway. Yes, and, and somebody said to me very ironically today, you'd have to be very well to endure a wait in, you know, in the regional, as they used to say uh, about Limerick. Somebody was from Limerick was telling me that, that they, you know, they dreaded their dad going into the, into, into, into the hospital in Limerick. Um, and, you know, absolutely, I, have, I mean, I have friends keep telling me that they dread their, their, their elderly parents being referred in to any A&E department in, in Dublin or Cork or Limerick or Galway or wherever. So really and truly, and I, again, PJ, I always keep saying, don't forget the staff because, yeah. you know, both patients and staff have to be cherished. You know, the staff are our greatest asset and they too are terribly distressed by being unable to provide, you know, proper dignity and kindness and space and, yeah. you know, appropriate levels of life and comfort to their patients because that's what they've trained for. And, you know, you have this concept of moral injury where the, the staff, are so heartbroken by not being able to provide the service that they dream of providing that they're leaving in droves as, you yeah. know, as, as we all know. Yeah, Nobody goes to college to be a nurse or a doctor to leave a person on a trolley for 14 hours. Nobody does that Chris, correct? Precisely and, and, and it's profoundly upsetting and distressing for, for, the, for the staff. 
So, you know, I always say when you're talking about these issues, please always put the patients and the professionals together in your estimation and your considerations. Both are equally important as a partnership there, a real partnership. That, that as should be, uh, and both uh, both patients and staff are terribly distressed by these kind of conditions where they have to wait in, in massively overcrowded uh, and noisy departments. And finally, do you think management seem to get it? Now, I've asked you this before: Do our politicians get it? Do they understand what they need to do? I'm not sure. I'm really, really not sure. I, I have no doubt that our Taoiseach gets it. Um, let, let me kind of almost leave it at that. But I, I'm, I'm not sure that all politicians get it. I do say one thing, PJ. I'm forever saying this. The next time a politician comes down to the, comes to the door and is canvassing for your vote, you ask that politician, when was the last time you were down in the Mercy? Or when was the last time you were down in the CUH emergency department? Because that's the really acid test. You know, have they seen you know, the situation in our emergency departments, be it Limerick or Galway or Dublin or Cork or whatever, because our local politicians need to know exactly what's going on and they need to be doing their bit to, to see what they can do to help the management and the staff and patients in, in, in all our hospitals. Chris Luke, as always, thank you. PJ, thank you. Great, Dr. Chris Luke, emergency medicine consultant. Thanks, Chris. 0818 96 96 96. These numbers are not new. They're just getting worse. The solutions are there. They just need to be implemented and a little bit of political support wouldn't go amiss, says he. 0818 96 FM. 96, 96, 96. Where am I going? I'm going to line one to Regina. A budget query, a post-budget query. Regina, morning. Good morning, Vijay. Hi. You want to talk about the Irish Wheelchair Association? That's right. Um, my husband worked there for the last 20 years and he worked through the whole two years of COVID. Right. And um, he's been extremely lucky that we have not got COVID yet. Um, we've, he has been very careful with his protocols in the house and with going in and out to different people's houses that he looks after. Yeah. Um, but he still hasn't received his bonus payment. And as far as we know, because we have contacted Sean Sherlock and the Taoiseach's office, and they've emailed us back um, from the, with the answer from the Minister of Health that we're on the next list to be done. And that was on July 19th. And it still hasn't been done. This idea was confirmed, or this payment was confirmed. Mm-hmm. I spoke to uh, Michael McGrath on this very programme in the middle of January. Mm-hmm. And they confirmed it would be paid. This is the 29th of September. Yeah. And your husband still has not been paid. And other members of the Irish Wheelchair Association. And I know some of the home helps already got their payments. And I know the nurses got theirs because they, like, they worked hard. They all worked hard during the pandemic. Yes, they did. And they went into well, dangerous situations. They exactly. were on the front line. They were putting themselves in danger. And as a result, they were putting you and other members of their families in danger to mm-hmm. do the job that they had to do. Exactly. I mean, one or two of my husband's clients went cocooning for the time, but he still made sure he was in weekly contact with them. And if they needed any provisions, he sent it down. Um, he even brought down DVDs to entertain them if they needed it. You know, you know, it's just he, he has this duty of care that he's always given to his clients over the years. Indeed, indeed. And, st- and, and still nothing. And still nothing. Um, it's just, I think he's feeling demoralised at the moment. It's not about the money anymore. It's about the recognition yeah. of how much work he's put in to keeping people in their own homes during COVID so they could have you know, their own sense of 
independence, that they don't have to go into hospital, that they don't have to be mm-hmm. put into nursing homes and they can have their independence. And that's what the Irish wheelchair is about. They like making sure that people get their service users, the, the attention that they need and the... I'm sorry, I'm a little bit nervous over this. You're but it's okay. just... You know, you're okay, Regina. You're... you're, you're you're, you really are singing off a hymn sheet that we're all very familiar with and we mm-hmm. all agree with every word. And, and the fact that, as I said, Michael McGrath announced this in January and we were one of the very first radio interviews he did on the day it was announced in January. And this yeah. is the 29th of September and your husband has been told, wait again. Wait again, yeah. And that was the, the last email we received from Sean Sherlock's office was the 8th of August. Oh, no, that's that's that, that's just not, not good enough at all, uh, Regina. Thank you for your call and I hope that uh, that he gets his money ASAP. He should have it a long time ago. Actually, Niall Conroy, you'll remember Niall, from uh, COVID when he was in Brisbane, or in Queensland rather, and he was on with me regularly about COVID in Australia. Niall Conroy is back in Ireland now. He's a, an associate professor at UCC, but he's also working in the public health system. And he says public health teams who managed and continue to manage COVID outbreaks were one of the few groups purposely excluded from this payment. The mind boggles. I did not know that. The mind absolutely boggles. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. I see where home helps still haven't had their 1,000 euro. This is scandalous. I think it was around the 19th or 20th of January, maybe even earlier than that, that I spoke to Michael McGrath here. We spoke again in April about it. And here we are on the 29th day of September and so many people still haven't had their money. Now, I know that we're going to talk budget and I know we also have uh, some breaking international news uh, with regard to the Nord Stream Pipeline uh, Minister, Simon Coveney, who joins me on the opinion line now. But, but just take that one up, Simon, if you would, please, as a member of the government. It was announced in January and thousands of people still haven't had their payment yet. Why? Good morning. Well, they should have had their payment. I mean, that's all I can say on that. Um, and, you know, the, the, the majority of people who were promised that um, solidarity payment, if you like, post-COVID, uh, should have got it by now. And if they haven't, uh, the system isn't working quick enough. What um, can the government do to make sure it does? Well, well, I mean, first of all, I'll follow up on it directly because I, I wasn't aware that they still hadn't had that payment. Um, and, um, you know, it's... Um, it's not good enough that um, that you know people who were expecting to get uh, a payment for extraordinary work uh, and sacrifice during during COVID haven't got it yet. Um, and all I can say is that you know the system should be working faster than that when we make a commitment. The whole point of 
a solidarity payment is to give people recognition, uh, not to frustrate them uh, in terms of having to wait uh, for far too long for that payment. So it's, it's, it's something that I'll, that I'll follow up on and we'll try and get paid as quickly as we can. Okay, thank you for that. Now, you've got some breaking news from the EU this morning. I think you've had a, a briefing, yourself and your foreign affairs colleagues around Europe have had a briefing on the situation at the Nord Stream pipeline. Very important, of course, Simon. What do you know? Yeah, I mean, look, this is an extraordinary situation. I mean, we have basically the main pipeline that has taken gas from Russia into the EU uh, coming through the Baltic Sea um, has has effectively been blown up uh, in certain, uh, in at least uh, two, if not three locations. Um, so um, the issue is going to be raised at the UN Security Council. We'll be speaking on it uh, either today or tomorrow. Um, but no one seems to know who's responsible for this. Um, and people are be, being very careful, as am I, uh, in terms of who gets the blame. Um, Is but, there a you know, list of suspects, shall we say? Well, look, I mean, there's a war going on in Ukraine. Uh, so obviously there's, there's uh, suspicion uh, as regards uh, who may um, want to, uh, uh, to, to disrupt gas supply into the EU. Um, but I mean, you know, I mean, some people have, um, you know, have looked at Russia, uh, but I think it's too early to to say definitively who's responsible here. It's not even possible to go down with cameras and and examine the pipe because the pressure in terms of gas um, uh, blowing out of the pipe is still so strong, so it's so dangerous. But look, I mean, that will happen in the next few days. Uh, We'll have a clearer picture as to the kind of explosives that were used. If it can be ascertained who did it, will they be named by the EU? Oh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is, is, you know, key infrastructure for the EU. You know, um, even though we are... Um, because of sanctions, dramatically reducing um, the the amount of gas and oil coming from Russia into the EU um, because of their aggression in Ukraine. Uh, this is still a you know a really important piece of 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 um, uh, submarine infrastructure, um, and it's also built by the way to withstand earthquakes. And so, like this isn't an accident. You know, this has been. This has been targeted by a very well-resourced and sophisticated uh, country or group of people. Um, and so at the moment, um, people are being very cautious. Uh, countries haven't uh, pointed to anyone in particular in terms of blame, but I think that will change in the next week or so. Um, uh, and, you know, it's just a, another example, of, of course, of the instability in terms of geopolitics across the continent of Europe at the moment. But how, how, how this bothers Mick and Mary at their breakfast over their toast, uh, Minister, yeah, is will this make my energy prices even worse? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the key issue. You, you know, the, the, otherwise it's just me talking theoretically about foreign policy and security concerns. But the truth is, every time there's significant disruption to a a supply line for for energy sources, whether it's gas or oil or petrol or diesel um, uh, or whatever, uh, then that has a disruptive impact in terms of energy prices, which means, of course, gas becomes more expensive, oil becomes more expensive, your petrol, your diesel does too. So, I mean, we are... Somebody's weaponizing our energy, Simon. Well, look, I mean, you know, one of the reasons why the government has been so cautious, um, both in recent years, but also even in the budget this week, uh, to, to make sure that we put some money aside uh, in case there are further crises that we have to deal with is because of this kind of thing. 
You know, we are we are living through a war on our continent at the moment where millions of people have been displaced, where energy supplies into the EU have effectively been cut off from Russia, which, uh, and you know, a significant portion of Europe's energy came from Russia. Uh, and all of this disruption is is making... Um, uh, it's very difficult for households uh, mm-hmm. to know what their energy bill is going to be uh, in the months ahead. So that's why we've put €2 billion Euros into a reserve fund this year. We're going to put €4 billion in next year mm-hmm. to make sure that if we have to help households even more beyond what's been done in the budget yeah. uh, in the last few days, that we have the money to do that. We, we uh, have three €200 yeah. Euro credits put, put back into, put into the budget now for the next six months, which will hopefully get people through uh, this winter, there's an argument constantly made as to whether uh, it should be capped. There's a for and against argument there. We've had that. Do you think we'll need no, more no, credits? Capping, PJ, just, I mean, I, I can understand that argument, right? I mean, there's something very uh, attractive about the government saying, look, your energy bills aren't going to go above a certain figure. Yeah. Uh, and, and the government will pay the difference beyond that. The problem with that. And and the reason why very, very few countries uh, across the European Union are looking at that, and the ones that are, are only looking at a partial cap, the reason for that is that you're essentially giving a blank check to energy companies to say, it doesn't matter what you charge, the government's going to pay. And this is the people's money. You, but you they know, still have that blank check anyway uh, these days. Uh, uh, well, they don't, really. Uh, um, so, so, I mean, what what we're saying is we have to know how much we're committing so that we don't overexpose the country uh, to money that we that we haven't planned for mm-hmm. uh, and, and I mean I think we have a responsibility to do that if if energy prices continue to increase in a way that's not expected and we have to do more we will have the money to come back and do more to support households and we will if we have to so so you're um, saying you're saying you, that there could be more credits if they're needed next year if absolutely so I mean if if households and people need help from government they'll get it um, and um, you know we had a, a an 11 billion euro budget this year you know that is way way beyond uh, what uh, what would normally be the case in any budget um, but that was justified but we're one of the very few countries that has done that without extra borrowing and with a surplus and putting money into a reserve fund so that we can do more next year if we need to. So we're trying to be as supportive as we possibly can be for, we, for, for families that we know are under pressure, for businesses that we know are going to be under pressure through the winter. But we also have a reserve in case we need to come back and do more. And I think that's the responsible thing to do mm. rather than promising the world now without, without knowing how much it's going to cost, which is what some of the opposition parties have been doing. Okay. Were you satisfied with your day's work when you went to bed the other night after the budget, Simon? Well, look, I mean, I think, um, you know, I mean, every politician in the country should know, because they're not doing their job if they don't, uh, how much worry and concern there is out there in households. You know, a lot of parents uh, looking at their electricity bills at the moment, looking at their gas bills, wondering how they're going to be able to pay those bills in the months ahead as they need to use more heating and, and so on. Um, and so what we had to try to do uh, was to at least give people some certainty that the government was going to give them um, uh, 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 more money to try to deal with those bills in the months ahead. And so, you know, 600 euros towards 
the cost of household bills, I think, will be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't solve the problem entirely. And if we have to do more, as I say, next year, we will. And, um, and you're putting the money aside to do it. And we're putting the money aside to do it. But we've also tried to, to make sure that, that everybody is getting some help in this budget. So, you know, if you look at the independent analysis of this budget, the people who run the lowest incomes are the people who will see their their net income increase the most as a result of this budget. But yeah. we've also put a, a pretty strong package next year in place for middle income earners. You know, the people who are who are who are working hard, who are on a a reasonable but not particularly high salary. Mm. Uh, people who, who, who don't qualify for an awful lot of the supports in terms of thresholds. Uh, we have put a, you know, a big tax break in, in place now uh, for those people who are earning you know, in, you know, in and around 40,000 euros um, uh, to ensure that they're not paying at the higher rate of tax mm. until above that figure. They'll still do better though than someone on, on 25. Yeah, but, but, but there are lots of other supports for someone who's on 25. You know, that's why we've had lump sum payments in the context of the working family payment, uh, whether it's child benefit, whether it's paying for, uh, for school books, um, you know, whether it's uh, fuel allowance. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, so there's a, you know, there are a lot of supports for people on low incomes, and so there should be. Uh, but we've also got to try to recognize um, that people who are in middle incomes are also feeling pressure at the moment. Okay. Uh, and, you know, Fine Gael in particular has been insistent on making sure that, that uh, people who are working hard, who want to do a bit of extra, uh, extra work to earn some more money uh-huh. to sort of keep them covered financially, that they're not paying, you know, half of that extra income. Yeah, th- there is a thing, uh, and that's a, 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 an interesting question. If it is a thing that your salary isn't quite into that upper bracket, but your, your overtime would bring you into it. Will it make it more worth your while to do a bit of overtime? Well, if you want to, yeah. And I think, you know, we want to give people the option to do that without punishing them by moving them into the higher tax bracket and taking back half their income in tax. Mm. I mean, that's, that's the reality. So, I mean, if you're earning, you know, uh, you know 35 or 38,000 euros and you decide that you want to do some overtime um, uh, and that moves you above 40,000, um, uh, 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 sorry, until this year, if you were earning over 36,800, you would have been paying the higher rate of tax, which is almost half your income. We've now moved that up to 40,000, which means that people who are earning sort of in the 30s uh, can now move right up to earning almost 40,000 euros if they decide to do so without okay. having to move into the higher tax band. And that, that you know, for, for lots of working families, for individuals will be worth about 800 euros a year, for a couple will be worth about 1,600 euros a year, you know, which is... Um, uh, you know, which is a, a you know not a small amount of money yeah, given yeah. The, the pressures that families are under at the moment. Okay, I know our time it's a bit tight. One or two more small things: the price of oil, and I've got a couple of messages in. As energy soars, continues to soar, the price of oil has begun to turn downwards. So, why is energy still soaring? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we are likely, by the way, in the in the weeks ahead to see to see oil prices come down a bit. Um, um, petrol, diesel, home heating oil. Um, we've also decided, obviously, not to not to allow the increases in carbon tax 
to actually result in petrol and diesel and home heating oil going up because we've reduced what's called the, the Nora levy, which essentially is, is, is counteracting carbon tax increases uh, to make sure that mm. that's not contributing to increasing prices. But, but I think there is a realistic expectation that, that petrol and diesel prices in the next few weeks will, will reduce not massively, but certainly uh, noticeably. And I think that would be a welcome change. And lastly, and this is one straight into your own uh, bailiwick, as it were, uh, Simon Coveney, as a neutral country, should we just keep our mouths shut about the Ukraine-Russia situation? Absolutely not. Um, you know, um, when, when one country invades another, um, when one country breaks international law, uh, is in clear breach of the UN Charter, um, when, when one country is essentially looking to annex parts of its neighbour, uh, then I think that is not something you can remain neutral on. Um, uh, and sometimes neutrality means uh, effectively supporting the oppressor. Uh, and I am not willing, as a foreign minister or as a defence minister, to stay quiet mm. uh, when I see a military superpower, which is what Russia is, attacking its neighbour uh, and looking to uh, to to change international borders by force. Do you stand over uh, the Taoiseach's use of the words rogue nation? Yeah, you know, I can understand uh, the use of that language. Um, um, you know, my job is to make sure that, that Ireland's voice is heard internationally. That's why we campaigned to be on the UN Security Council where, you know, decisions on war and peace are made. Uh, and we're privileged to be around that table at the moment. Uh, and, you know, I don't think it would be acceptable for us to be quiet uh, because these are difficult, awkward debates, you know. And that's why last week when I was in the Security Council, you know, I very much called out Russia's behaviour, uh, despite the fact that their foreign minister was there listening. Okay. Um, I think that Ireland needs to be a consistent, strong voice internationally. Uh, and our guiding principles are based on international law. Um, you know, we don't want to quarrel with Russia, but, uh, but we will certainly call out their behaviour in this instance as brutal, as illegal and as totally unacceptable. Uh, and that's why we've supported sanctions and we'll continue to. That's why we're helping Ukraine to defend itself. So far, we've made 55 million euros available to help the Ukrainian military. We don't provide them with lethal weapons, but we do provide them with um, yeah. Yeah, funding for uniforms, helmets, body armor, uh, nutrition, medical yeah. products, and that kind of thing. And you so, see, at the same time, the one, and I know it's probably the stinger at the end, but we've got families looking for services for kids, kids with a disability can't get them, and we're sending money to Ukraine. That doesn't sit yeah. well with people sometimes. Well, well, let me just explain why that's important. You know, we have 50,000 Ukrainians in Ireland today who have been fleeing war, uh, I know many of them and have met them. Um, and we have to show solidarity with another European country that's under attack. Um, just like we expect solidarity from other parts of Europe uh, when we have difficulties or threats. Um, and that's what it is to be part of an international community. Um, we can't just leave it to somebody else to solve those problems. You know, Ireland is a wealthy, influential country. Um, uh, and uh, our voice needs to be heard. Um, one of the reasons, by the way, in this budget, that we increased our overseas aid development by more than has ever been increased before. You know, my department will spend an extra 100 million euros, my Department of Foreign Affairs, mm. on, on supporting vulnerable people who have nothing in other parts of the world. We'll see the, the overseas aid budget increase uh, next year by 177 million euros in one year. We'll spend 1.2 billion euros next year 
on helping people who have little or nothing, who uh, in some cases children that are starving, particularly in the Horn of Africa at the moment, because of uh, disruption to energy markets and food markets that they mm-hmm. have no impact on whatsoever. And I think that's the right thing to do okay. uh, when, when, a, when an economy is strong. We're, we're contributing you know, huge sums of money to support our own people here, but we've also got to be generous internationally. That's okay. what being a, you know, a sovereign country with international credibility is about. And my job as a Minister of Foreign Affairs and my job as a Minister of Defence, by the way, you know, we'll see the biggest ever increase in the defence budget as well. Okay. You know, and so, so anybody out there who's listening, who's thinking about joining the defence forces, you know, it's going to be a very exciting career okay. uh, in the next 10 years of growth, expansion of lots of new equipment. Okay. Um, and that is, you know, that again is part of being a sovereign state that has the capacity to defend itself and, of course, to make a contribution to peacekeeping in other parts of the world. So, okay. you know, Ireland, Ireland, of course, needs to look after its own people, first and foremost. But we've also got to contribute to international peace and stability. If we don't, we see what happens. You know, wars in other parts of the world impact on the cost of living for our own people here in Ireland. So it's not just an investment to help people, which in my view is a moral obligation for any country that's wealthy, but also uh, it's about trying to ensure that we have stability and peace uh, across our continent which is good for, for homes in Cork and Carrigaline and, you know, okay. uh, and the communities that we live in as well. Okay. Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney, thank you for your time. I know we've, we've gone over. Appreciate it, Simon. 0818 96 96 96. Play it on repeat. Or time to delete. An absolute belter. Or a total head melter. Sing in the shower. Or turn off the power. Right now. Choose the music on Cork's 96FM for the chance to win 1,000 euro. 1,000 euro. Boom, 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 like that. Have your say on the Munster Music Survey and the cash could be yours. Go to 96FM.ie right now. Click the survey link and tell us what you think. Right now. The Munster Music Survey. Do it today. And you could win 1,000 euro. Win 1,000 euro. Boom, 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 like that. See 96FM.ie. Courts. 96FM. Crazy traffic on the N40 eastbound. The tailback from the tunnel to the flyover at Kinsale Road, all due to the left lane for Glenmire being closed off with metal bollards. How long will this lane be closed is the question. So watch it out there. Also, Cove News on their Facebook page have put up some marvellous photographs taken around sunrise of the uh, cruise liner that's in today. Super photos. Right, to Claire. You're applying to the council for a mortgage, Claire, and you're having difficulty. Morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on. You're very good. Um, yes, I'm a Cork woman living in Kenmare. Um, we've been renting in Kenmare for the last 10 years. And we applied to the Housing for All scheme, the uh, local authority and the government launched it as everyone can own their own home. So we had applied to banks. We were turned down um, and the standard with all of the banks, they would not include my carer's payments. So it was my uh, husband's um, salary was what was considered. Um, we put in the application. There is a maximum allowed uh, with the local authority of earnings of €75,000. Um, Finbar would be below that. Mm. Um, and we put in the application and they came back 
and they insisted, now I only get a part carers, but the carers is, as you know yourself, it's for the kids. We have two kids on the spectrum. Yes. Um, every single penny of that and more is spent on private therapies from speech and language to play therapy to occupational therapy because they get nothing, unfortunately. Um, so we have to pay for it privately. So the local authority insisted on including the little carers that I got and it puts us €4,000 over the limit. Oh, God. And, and it's just, it has devastated us. I, the banks don't take that into account when they're assessing No. Them, but the council no, does. No, they refuse to. But yes, the yeah. Does. The, con- the council does now. We appeal the decision and, of course, I went into my, oh, we've got to sort it out mode. I rep- printed off all of the receipts just for last year um, for all of the therapies and for the reports and sure it accounted to thousands upon thousands of euro, well, which brought us well below the limit of the 75,000 euro. And even with that, they sent it back and they said, yeah, don't care. We're still refusing you the application. It's it's you know, it's just it's devastating because with two kids on the spectrum, I'm getting emotional now. I can feel it. Um, a home and uh, an ability to paint a wall or have an occupational therapy area where they can work out the difficulties of the day. It's hugely important. We've had to move four times in the last ten years here. Um, in Kenmare, uh, our rent has gone from €375 Euro to well over a 1000 uh, We moved to Kilgarvan a little bit out so we could continue to save the money. Like we have saved, despite the private therapies, we have been really strict and we've managed to save a lot of money well in excess of the deposit that the local authority needs. We're quite a bit above. Mm. But despite all this and being able to prove we can pay this rent, plus save this money, plus, you know, fork out for all the therapies, they, they're they not listening. Um, we have written to everybody. Uh, God bless Artishuk, Michal Martin, Pascal O'Donoghue, Dara O'Brien, Michael McGrath, local representations. Mm. And have you popped across listening. the road to that big garage to see if Michael Healy Ray would help you? <laughs> That, that big garage, he's helping with something else. We're hoping to go for planning permission if we get a mortgage. He's being great support okay. there. Okay, um, I see everybody that because you live in Kilmar, But this is well, this is everyone bizarre. else locally. No, there've been no support. Well, they've they've tried, I believe, but nobody is yeah. listening to them either. This is the bizarre one, though, Claire. Just that the banks will look at your application and say, "Well, look, yes. we don't take that into account." When we're, when we're yeah. assessing you. They're you very say, strict about it, actually. Yeah, you can't add it in for eligibility because no. they know no. it's gone out the door in in, in needs. But the yes. local authority... can be proven so. Yeah, but the local authority takes it into account. Yeah. Look, it's just we're a little family. We're very uh, simple living. Uh, our kids are everything to us and they need a family home. We need a family home. Indeed. We're not asking for the world. We have done everything we, we were able to do and they have requested. We have a very large deposit. We can well and truly afford the mortgage. And I don't understand why nobody is listening, why nobody in this country is listening to the pleas of people. Um, I don't know what else to do. And I contacted you in an effort to see can anybody out there help us, please? Can anybody listen to a very genuine issue and problem? It's I don't know why this policy is being decided in this way. I don't know who's making this decision. 
and why they are making it in this way. My husband uh, tends to go down the track. Oh, they're, you know, we have kids who were disabled and they're they're limiting us and they're, you know, he's using very big language, but it's just we're a little family who want their family home and I don't understand why they're making this policy decision. Okay, Claire. I don't know what they'll say if we ask them. You did send us on a lot of your correspondence. You can see that you're arguing your 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 case very, very well with the local authorities. Thank you for that. I hope it works out for you. If anybody's been through this and can help, then they can call us at 0818 96 96 96. But there she is. They've got some savings. They can afford to pay a local authority mortgage. If they go to the bank, the bank doesn't care about Claire's uh, care repayment. In fact, they're not allowed to include it as income. That's not allowed in the banks. But in local authority mortgages, it has to be taken into account. Why is that fair? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. And chance to win that fantastic trip to see Harry Styles in Rio on the 8th December. It starts on Monday. And you will have an opportunity to qualify through the opinion line because we will be dropping a few Harry tunes uh, on the programme over the next couple of weeks so you can qualify here on the opinion line or any time between 7 and 7. More deeds a bit later. 0818 96 96 96. The number of the text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. Also working a voice message on that. And it's opinion at 96fm.ie. There's a lot in the news this morning, that story of that chase that happened uh, between the Fumoy area and Mahan and Cars Hill and all of that. I understand there were some guards injured in that. Uh, I hope they're okay. Uh, and certainly I hope that the kids involved are all right. Um, obviously we'll follow that one with, with interest. There was another one. And now they say that they have a definite line of inquiry. Yesterday it was just that they were keeping an open mind. But we hear now that there's a definite line of inquiry that somebody got in touch with the guards a couple of weeks ago in East Cork. And now they're waiting on a post-mortem. The skeletal remains of a juvenile found somewhere near Killa. It was found on Friday. It might have been there for 20 years or more, is what they're telling us now. That's a fascinating story. Obviously, it'll be slow because they have to do pathology and forensics and, and all of that. But that's the most interesting element of it is that the guards say they're following a definite line of inquiry. Do you remember the other story from East Cork of the woman's body or the woman's skeletal remains that were found? And she had clothes from olden days, as it were. There was a cross in her hands that was like a cross you might have in a coffin they never found out who she was but they seem to have they seem to know more than they're able to tell us with regard to that other story which we will follow with with massive interest 
Another one I've been meaning to get to for a day or two. There is a cyber breach. Now, we got reports in the last few days of a cyber breach in the CDNT. This is the disability sector. Data protection officers for all areas have been contacted, as has Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly. There's been a HSE data breach of very personal information for applicants and their children, for family rep applicants to the National CDNT Steering Group. And if people are worried about their data, they can reach out to their local office. And there's a list of offices there. I'm not going to go through them all. But a data breach in the National CDNT, that's Disability Sector Screening Group. That's that's concerning. That is concerning. Just lots of stuff to mop up because yesterday we were so busy with the budget. Come back to housing and Claire's call to the opinion line before 10 about her situation. The council shot us down seven years ago. We had the deposit that they needed. We could well afford the repayments. They they told us we, we couldn't afford it. Makes sense of that, says Finbar. Half the rent we had. The, the repayments were half the rent. They told us we couldn't afford it. Figure that one out, says Finbar. On neutrality, I'll hold them over. Um, I, I did quite a long discussion with Simon Coveney, among other things, talking about the neutrality situation and what the Taoiseach said at the United Nations Security Council and whether or not we should be staying neutral in matters to do with Ukraine and Russia. I'll come back to those comments. On the cost of living, I'm going to put this one out there for what it's worth and not going to do it, comment on it at all. See what you think. 0818 96 96 96. Perhaps couples who are complaining about not being able to afford to live should be thinking about whether or not they should have had children. Think about whether you can afford a child before you have one. As I say, just giving it to board worth. Speaking of having children and other such things like that, there was something in the budget which is being welcomed. There was a lot in the budget regarding women's health, to be fair now, that was being welcomed. Yesterday was the funding of Caravan, the hyperemesis drug. There's other things like HRT is going to have no VAT on it and other such drugs like that will have no VAT on them from next year. Also, the government announced it was going to fund IVF treatment. That they obviously would be available on the public system. IVF treatment, very specialised. People have been after this for years. It's very, very expensive to get IVF. But in the budget was a provision that it will be made available publicly or there would be public funding for IVF from late 2023. Mary McAuliffe is the fertility specialist and head of clinical services at Waterstones Clinic. So Mary McAuliffe, people have been asking you and the team there at Waterstone for a long time when something like this was going to come. It's coming now, but it's going to be a while. Morning. 
Good morning, PJ. Um, yes, indeed. Um, it's been coming a long, long time. But I suppose the positive thing is that it's been announced that it is actually coming now. There's been some budget set aside for this. We don't really know. We haven't clarity around exactly what budget or how that budget is going to be um, to be spent. But it has been announced that it will be available in September 2023. Mm. Um, so that's a positive move forward. You know, it's positive from the point that it has been signed off. There is some budget set aside and there is a timeline for when it's going to be, you know, there's going to be some guidance around it. I suppose the other flip side of that at the moment, PJ, for people is it's missing all of the clarity. And we're dealing with a group that are desperately wanting to have their families and their babies. And it's quite a stressful time. Um, and it's time dependent for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're waiting for something like this to come, um, and perhaps your treatment may depend on it for some, um, it's a very difficult place for couples to be not having that detail around um, the funding. In terms of cost, how much does, say, a first cycle cost to the average couple? If somebody is doing IVF, in vitro fertilisation, uh, roughly a psychic cost is approximately €5,000. Um, they have the cost of the medications on top of that. In Ireland, we're lucky in ways because um, the medications are covered by the drugs payment scheme that absolutely everybody's entitled to. So if we were to pay for those medications, they could come in at a cost of somewhere around €2,000. But we pay €80 Euros as, as, um, as a client, so as a patient, needing those medications we pay 80 in our local pharmacy um, and the government picks up the rest of that cost by means of the drugs payment scheme so that's actually a positive that has been there um, down through the years for us that other countries don't have um, and the other thing that we do have support on a little bit is is you know tax uh, um, rebate uh, you know kind of to put our you know treatment through but the cost is still quite large for so many couples um, and realistically I suppose the difficult part of this PJ that I've heard even from some patients yesterday that have been ringing in is you know yes it's announced for September but who will be eligible will there be criteria will there be you know like if you look at the UK they've criteria you know they say that up to three cycles can be funded but realistically last year only one third of cycles um, was funded by the NHS in the UK um, and realistically they have very very strict criteria in relation to who can actually benefit from this. It is always a case, isn't it, of the devil is in the detail and it'll be a while before we'll see the detail. Yeah, and it's the detail that's so badly needed by a stressed group of people that situation is time dependent. Mm. Um, so it would be lovely if we had a little bit more detail, I think, to deal with for everybody. You know, how will they access this funds? You know, will it be available across the board universally for all treatments? Some people need the facility of donor gametes in order to build their family. Others might need pre-implantation genetic screening. You know, if they have um, a genetic condition that they carry, perhaps for something like cystic fibrosis or uh, Huntington's disease, in order to build their family uh, in as healthy way as they can. Um, so, you know, all of that will be difficult. Will it have criteria on marital status, types of treatments? Um, and this varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Like we'll say in the likes of Germany, which is another EU country, you can't use donor gametes within that country. So if you're a couple that needs perhaps to use donor sperm or donor egg in order to build your family, that isn't permitted. Yeah. So, um, 
um, I think that until we have more detail, it's very difficult for couples because they remain in limbo at the moment. Am I hearing, Mary, almost a call from you on behalf of the sector or your own uh, clinic at least to the government? Well, look, don't just announce it. It's welcome. But, but give us plenty of information in plenty of time. Absolutely, PJ. It's what everybody needs. It's what all of these people that are waiting to have their family needs right now. They need that reassurance to know, will I be eligible? And if I'm eligible, what will be available for me? Because at the end of the day, if you're trying to save towards treatment, and if there's a carrot that something might be available to you in September, and then you reach September and nothing is available to you at all, I think it'll leave a lot of frustrated, angry people um, that have waited quite a long time for this. Um, and different groups, like we'll say, they haven't actually asked to date for any feedback from um, anybody working within the fertility clinic network, you know, from any of the fertility sites, as far as I'm aware. So they haven't reached out to people that are providing care and services right now to know what, you know, what people might require, what would be helpful for people. I'm not really sure have they engaged with um, with other support groups through that. I don't, th- I don't believe they have. I yeah. know that the National Fertility Support Group, NISIG, have suggested maybe like a tiered approach where they would support perhaps maybe one fully funded cycle and support towards yeah. cycles thereafter. But it'll be very difficult to know what actually will come and how it'll be provided. Um, will it be available throughout the country? Like already we have a situation where if people, there is some funds there for people that need oncology services to have gametes frozen in advance of having chemotherapy and radiotherapy that might reduce their fertility um, going forward after their care, their their cancer care is complete. But that's only available through one clinic site in Dublin, which isn't very supportive for people throughout the country so you wouldn't kind of want to see that situation I suppose happening around this it would be good if everybody could access care We know the wheels of government grind slowly at the best of times so having announced it for next September this is not information that needs to be coming out in August this needs to be coming out when? As soon as possible like the sooner it comes out you know as as a person that's you know trying to help people and, and, and speak to couples every day of the week within our clinics you know any clarity is good. So, you know, even if they could give some clarity around it, even to go as far as saying, you know, how many clinics, how many how many cycles will be supported for people and will there be eligibility criteria um, set, at least it'll give some people some pointers that they can get prepared. Mary, thank you for your time this morning. Thanks so much, PJ. Take care. Bye-bye. Mary McAuliffe, who is uh, Head of Clinical Services at Waterstone Clinic. Your thoughts on that are welcome at 0818969696. Quickly to West Cork, to Bantry and the Mayor of the County, Councillor Danny Collins. Uh, Mayor, there's a, a big power outage in Bantry today. Morning. Yes. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? And all of your listeners. Yeah, um, basically, um, the town and um, our electricity was shut off this morning at 9 o'clock and off until 5 o'clock for a major contract to be done by DSV um, crews here in the town. But um, it's kind of shocking, to be quite honest. I, I've been pleading with them since news broke last Thursday. Would they consider doing this work on a, on a, on a Sunday? Because like, it does affect a lot of um, businesses, we say from county offices to dentists to hairdressers. Right. I know one hairdresser here in town today, what you call it, she has a number of bookings for her wedding tomorrow. And like, 
she got, only got her letter last Friday, and now she's told today. You preempted my question, Danny. There was notice given, I take it. There was notice and came out from last last Thursday and Friday. Um, businesses and residents got um, letters in the post. But the funny thing about this, PJ, these letters are dated back to the end of July. So the SB didn't know about it. Uh, um, this had to happen at the end of July, and the, 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 the residents and businesses only got it. Got the letters last um, Thursday and Friday, and some on Monday as well, I believe. Yeah. So, like, what you got it? And she didn't unpost them, baby, here. It's, it's what you got it. Whoever in offices and wherever, like Cork or Dublin, um, sent out the letters. Like, it's just very late notice for mm-hmm. businesses. But, like, mm-hmm. still, this shouldn't be happening on a on a Thursday, like, a busy day of the week for, for, for the town or for every town, like, you'd say, throughout the country. But, um, like, I guess I try to plead with them. Would they consider doing it on a Sunday? And mm. be honest, I, I was hitting the black block. Well, black look wall. at look at look at the overtime bill that would cause. Yes, and after they announcing recently that they were making over three hundred and fifty-seven million in profit, <laughs> and how like and like we like one lady there here business there in town. She took up her ESB bill there last week and. Her, her, her ESP bill like has gone from was it seventeen eighteen hundred up to five and a half thousand a year. Yeah, and like it's, it's like, not it's like they're not making the money like to two, pay. The two, fingers up, the two fingers up to the people, the people who are, are who are paying their bills. And the stew back when five o'clock this evening. Five o'clock stew back this evening. Magic got it. Um, this did happen back about six seven seven years ago. I reckon it is about, and it happened. The, the job was done on a Sunday, which was no problem. I, it, it affected my my business, but. I'm taking. I'm, I'm representing the people. Like I spoke to what um, an accountant. I spoke to uh, dentists. I spoke to hairdressers. There, so Danny, this shouldn't be happening. Like, and it should not be happening. Quite honest. No, you would think in 2022, nearly 2023, there's a better way to do it than shut down an entire town for yeah. a full day. Thank you very much, Councillor Danny Collins, uh, Mayor of the County, and. Uh, uh, Publican in in Bantry. Thanks, Kadenny. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. The whole of Bantry out of power for the day to carry out what is essential work. There's a local thirty eight kV station. It's a big yoke and needs fixing. And today's the day they've chosen to fix it. And they wrote to local businesses and said, "You're going to be shut down for the full day." They knew about it in July, according to the mayor. But they only wrote to the businesses last week and some of them only got their letters yesterday or the day before. And of course you had businesses with work booked in for today that has had to be cancelled for today. Which, as the mayor says in 2022, nearly 2023. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Is not acceptable. There's surely a better way. 0818 96 96 96 on neutrality. And what Simon Coveney was saying before 10. Toilet roll is 295 in Lidl. He's talking a load of rubbish. We're a dot in the world. If he wants to send an army, then send everyone in the doll. Hi, PJ. If he's so happy with the war, ask him to take a gun and fight for Ukraine. Thank you for that. On the budget with regard to the price of energy, which we also discussed with the minister, I assume they're capping the outrageous standing charges. There's no valid excuse to have them soaring too. They don't have legal power to cap those charges. That's what seems to have emerged in the last day or two. Uh, Oh, okay. Uh, Tim Brosnan, another one that was in the budget, and I said it yesterday when I was going through it and listening to it on Tuesday. This thing came in. uh, 10 euro levy on concrete products. What the hell is that about? It's apparently to pay for the micro redress scheme because that's going to cost an absolute fortune. Tim, it's going to do other things, though. It's going to put up the prices of everybody wanting to build a little extension, put down a bit of a path, do anything with their houses. Morning. Good morning, PJ. It, it is indeed, and I can't think that any politician would have bring up that notion of that tax. I think that's a civil servant in a bathroom somewhere. Can you get closer to the phone, Tim? You're a bit far away from it. I can't think that any politician would have ended up such a stupid idea. And I would call on all TDs, whatever party, to stand up for the people that elected them and vote against that stupid tax. Now, last year, all properties were revalued upwards significantly. Yeah. And the take on the local property tax went through the roof. Yeah. And they should fund that mitre out of the property tax. And not be living a separate Isn't that for local services, though, and supposed to stay local? Well, it is local services. It's local housing up in Donegal, and other parts of the country, which is very much a local issue. Uh, And local authorities all over the country are subsidising each other where people don't have uh, enough money coming in from the tax. So the property tax and the uptake on the last year and the increase from it is what should be funding the MICA. And I'll tell you why, PJ. It's because the mitre problem arose out of the perennial failure of the civil service to perform. And you earlier had Chris Luke, there's a failure to manage health. There's a failure to manage energy. We have no storage facilities. There's an abject failure to plan and manage housing. And I'm putting it down now as a marker that our senior civil servants, some of whom could be on up to 300 grand, getting a 6% increase, 18,000. We spoke about the TDs getting 6,000. These guys are getting up to 18,000 increase in salary as a result of the agreement with SIPTO. And these people are not performing. Tim, they've always been there. 
they'll always be well, there well, and getting well, rid of them is easier than getting rid of Christmas. I'm not talking about getting rid of them. I'm talking about getting them to perform. And I'm saying to the members of Dolan, listen to the people that elected you, not to the people that are apparently or allegedly running government departments. There's a complete failure. And I'm not blaming politicians apart from the fact that they need to take on the civil servants. Politicians are answerable to the people. And we get elected, we get fired, we get elected, we get fired. And that's fair enough. But these faceless individuals are not accountable to anybody. They don't even account. And we saw how that worked earlier in the year. Quick one on that. And and you're not the first person to raise this subject in recent times, particularly with regard to things like disability services and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, I have to ask the question of our politicians, and you're a former local politician, yeah. Tim. Who is in charge? I mean, the civil servant, who works for who? I've asked this question, and I can't find the answer anywhere. Who, like, well, if, I'm, if I'm the minister for something, if I'm, the, if I'm the minister for car park spaces, like, who is in charge? Me or the, or the Sir Humphrey in the I'll office? Tell I'll tell you, And... This was done in a documentary at the time Rory Quinn was leading the Department of Education. And there was a changeover in Secretary General. And this, the Secretary General's gopher came in to the Minister and said, Minister, you tell us what you want to achieve and we will tell you how it is done. And that's the way it works. The politicians will set out policy. It's the civil service who achieve the policy. And my point is, they are not achieving the objectives set down for them by politicians and they're getting away with it. And this tax on the concrete block is a tax, it's a further tax on future generations Mm. being given at a time when the senior civil servants who are supposed to be managing and planning all this permanent government work are actually an abject failure. But what it boils down to, Tim, and when I listened to the budget the other day, and this came out... It's a good budget in overall terms. This is just something in the budget. I remember sitting, listening to this being announced, and I played it back. Old Habits Die Hard, I was recording the budget. And I said, okay, okay. So the guy wanting to build a bit of a garden wall next summer... And he's agreed with his neighbour they're going to build a nice concrete garden wall and they're going to split the cost of it. The cost of that is gone up to pay for flipping mica. It is, yeah. Where's the he's paying property tax that's gone up and that should be going. The property tax increase they got should be covering it. And the politicians, and I'm talking now to TDs because ministers get too cosy with their secretary general. The TDs and Dollar need to tell the ministers go back to those people and tell them that's not happening. Well, it seems, according to what we're reading in the papers this morning, it seems that Pascal Donoghue is fairly wedded to this this tax. Pascal can be wedded to it, but if the TDs, if, for example, in my constituency, Padraig O'Sullivan and Colin Burke... I think Padraig has spoken out against it, in fairness to him. Yeah, and he has, yeah, but, I mean, it's not speaking out, you have to vote against it. Yeah. Now, they will lose the whip, fair enough. They lose the whip, but they'll get elected the next time for representing the people who elected them. Yeah, and the, the government may not get that particular measure too. You could call this the garden wall tax. Tim, thank you. Uh, Tim Brosnan. That's one that kind of snuck by. It came up yesterday briefly in the programme. This 10 euro on concrete products. So it's bricks, it's mortar, it's concrete itself, it's the bit of 
concrete you want to put down for a garden path. It's the thing that, and there isn't a summer goes by that two, think about it now, two people in a housing estate living next door to one another. The old fence between the two houses is manky. The ditch is falling down. The two lads get on grand. They have a point together down the down the club on a Saturday. And they say, come here, Tom. Just we'll do. We'll build a wall, the two of us. Good man, Mick. You get the price. We'll split it. And we'll get it done and sure just get the blocks delivered. Me son did a bit of bricklaying. We'll do it ourselves. I know, no, we'll get a fella in. There's the conversation. Right, you know what we'll do now? We'll get a price, we'll get it delivered and we'll split it. We'll split it and we'll do it in the nice weather. Good man, another point, grand. That little job, that little job will now be dearer to pay for Micah and Donegal. Is that fair? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. No, I'm just thinking, the more I think about that concrete tax, like, we have a little bit of a job that we might want to do out the back next summer. A small little job, but it's going to put the cost of it up. I did a small little job out my front couple of weeks ago, little repaired little windowsill that was that was broken. And the little pot of mortar and cement that I bought for that, that's going to go up as well. All to pay for a builder who didn't do their job properly up the country. Like I'm sorry, where's that fair? Where the hell in who in what man's language is that fair? Kevin says, I might not like the concrete tax, but I can see why it's there. If you take it from general taxation, you have to cut something else. So what should we cut? Kevin, can't we go after the builders who messed up? Surely there's got to be a better way to have the people who actually did it pay for it? That's that's a, big, a major part of the problem. See your point. It's got to come from somewhere. But why should it be more expensive to build yourself a garden wall or lay a little patio or fix a a broken windowsill or something or put on some new reveals, a little bit of DIY? Why should that become more expensive to fund dodgy practices in County Donegal? I'm not, I cannot make sense of that in my head. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Irish songwriter Keen Ducraw announces a March 23 headline tour following a sold-out run of September shows, culminating in a return to Cypress Avenue on April 1st. Tickets are on sale this Friday from 10am at the Old Oak and cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. Mary Black is regarded as one of the most important Irish vocalists of her generation with multi-platinum selling albums and a string of achievement awards to her name. Mary comes to Cork Opera House this Sunday night as one of the headliners of this year's Cork Folk Festival with tickets still available. Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events or gigs by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. On the opinion line last week, I spoke to Cahill Freel, who is a director of Poolbeg Pharma. 
He's the co-founder and chairman of Poolbeg Pharma. And he and Professor Luke O'Neill are hosting a series of events around the country, sort of in the wake of COVID-19, looking at how we deal with infectious diseases going forward and maybe looking back at how we dealt with COVID. And there's one in Cork and one in Limerick and one in Galway and one in Belfast. And the one in Cork is on today. Professor Luke O'Neill, talking to your colleague last week, he was of the view that from now on we look at COVID as little more than a, a bad cold and we'll just take action when, when we get infected. Do you share that view? I do kind of page is the answer, I guess. I mean, we're still uh, living with the COVID pandemic. It hasn't quite finished with us yet, especially as winter comes on, you know. But certainly the, the vaccination campaign and, and natural infection combined gives us great protection. So we've grounds for hope that we will have a, what we call a wall of immunity has mm-hmm. emerged in our in our people. And of course, in Ireland in particular, we've done very well on the vaccine from number three in Europe, you see, for vaccine uptake, which is a great number to reach, you know. And there's no doubt that's providing great protection. So when you, when you look at the vaccination rate, it's a bit like a cold or a flu now. The, the risk of having severe diseases is lessened hugely by vaccination. So that, that's, kind of, that's where Carl's coming from with those comments, really, I think. Yeah, the new variation of, of Omicron, it seems to be, and I say seems to be, burning itself out by degrees. Would you agree with me? Well, Omicron was a bit of a godsend, because as, as we now know, it was a lot milder than the parent, what we call the parental virus, the one that got the thing going, you know, and yet it gave great protection. And that's a great combination of the virus because it can infect you and then give you protection just in case a bad, it's a bit like a vaccine, you know, in case the bad guy comes along. So we got mm. lucky with Omicron. The trouble is there's no guarantees there may be another variant. I mean, there are, there are three things left to worry about. That's what that might be. You know? The first is another variant that's more malign might come along and cause real illness. Yeah. Now, again, the hope is immunity will protect us against any variant to some extent against severe disease anyway you know we're hopeful of that but still that's an unknown a new variant um, the, se- the second unknown really is how quick the vaccines are waning and as we know there's a massive booster campaign underway at the moment and everybody should turn up for their boosters if they're eligible the booster really does kick things back hugely in terms of protection which is a great thing with loads of data on that and the third concern is long COVID yeah. and that turns out to be much more troublesome at least one in ten of the numbers we're seeing overall getting long COVID and as you know that, that can be very debilitating you see yeah. so we'd love to see more progress on that one in terms of diagnosis and treatment. And, and, and by the way, huge research is happening around long COVID now. The vaccines are protecting us from severe disease, but we'd love to have a way now to treat long COVID. That'll be a really sort of a positive development, I think. Is there still a concern there, like there was when you and I spoke maybe a year ago, that even if you do get a mild dose of COVID, that you can end up developing long COVID? And that is the problem, the unpredictability of who's going to s- struggle long term. Very much so. And we know a lot more about long COVID because there's so many people with it, you see. And they've been measured and questioned and all sorts. And severity doesn't predict it. That, that, that seems to be... You would have thought if you get really sick with COVID, you might end up developing long-term symptoms. That can happen. But the truth is, very mild disease, a subset of people mm. are developing long COVID. We'd love to know why is that. We think it's partly genetic. So it's bad luck. You know, your immune system is in a certain way because of your genes. And then you then, unfortunately, go on to develop long COVID. One big development. Development page that we're very excited about is it seems to be to do with clotting. 
So the clots are forming in your lungs and then you feel you can't breathe properly or in your brain and you get brain fog, you know. And so the focus in terms of um, developing treatments is to stop the clotting or at least dissolve the clots. Mm. Now, if that pans out, that gives us a great sort of prospect here to treat people with these symptoms. And, and they're called micro clots. They're unusual clots, actually. Yeah. My lab is working on this clotting aspect, so I'm, and I know a lot about it. Great. So I hope for that that might give us an advance, you see. But it's, it is, it's still a real mystery why some get it and some don't really, you know. And isn't that the reason why, even if it is a much milder illness and even if we are all vaccinated and even if it really is just an inconvenience, you stay at home for the few days and look after yourself and look after everybody else, it is still that unpredictability that the best advice is just don't get it. Yeah, precisely. And, and get vaccinated. Because remember, if you're vaccinated, you decrease your risk of catching it. I mean, there is infection, as we know. It, it doesn't completely prevent infection. Uh, but certainly, if you're vaccinated, you have a lower risk of developing it, you know. Mm. So that's quite good as well. It's, another reason to be vaccinated is, first of all, to stop you dying from it. But secondly, that might prevent you from developing long COVID. So again, it gives us more than one reason to take the vaccine when offered, really, you know. Where are we on vaccine research, Luke, in terms of development of what I think they call it? Is it a sterilizing vaccine, they call it? Yeah. Yeah, the big, the big excitement there, PJ, is one that will st- definitely stop you getting infected, which would be marvellous, wouldn't it, you know? And they're ones that you, you squirt up your nose. They're called intranasal vaccines. And it makes sense because now the immune system is in your nose. If the virus goes into your nose, it's killed and doesn't get a foothold, you know? And there's, set, there's nine of those in development. Nine uh, four of them. Nine, yeah, and four of them are in the last phase of development. So yet again, my fingers are firmly crossed because if they make it, they will be the ones we'll use and, and they'll have a, a double whammy. One, they'll stop you getting sick but equally that's not actually getting infected in the first place and, and that means you definitely won't get long COVID you know? yeah. so again he, still, still a huge amount of research is happening a lot of effort is going into these intranasal vaccines and the second one PG is what we call a universal coronavirus vaccine which would work against any strain and again that removes the fear of a new strain cropping up and being malignant if you know what I mean so so again there's lots of efforts afoot to make a universal coronavirus vaccine and of course that will just in case there's another one lingering in a bat somewhere that'll protect against that as well you see so so in other words the vaccine business never sleeps yeah we'd, we'd forget that I mean with with the pandemic thankfully in the rearview mirror if not quite gone we ordinary mortals could forget that there's still a hell of a lot of work going on I guess that's kind of what your event in Cork is focused on Luke isn't it yourself and Carl right. and and also the fact that we've become amateur infectious diseases people ourselves over the last two and a half years I think you become a professional because you've spoken to me and my colleagues so often. You must know you know an awful lot about this virus. You see, so we've, you're right though. The public now have never been better informed, which is tremendous in some ways, isn't it? That they're all more aware of all these things. You see, so so you're quite right. It's strange, isn't it? The last two years, m- many have learned words like antibody or antigen or T cell or cytokine. I bet you know those words. Yeah. And they're becoming part part of the common parlance, aren't they? And there's no harm in that, by the way. It's great that people will be informed. You see, that, that's a, that's a really good development. I think. Is it easy? easier then to bring the message to a public that's been warmed up for it about the future of infectious disease. You'd hope so, but but it's okay for people to forget about it because because they're sick to death of it. Yeah, we've had enough of it, haven't we? You know, we're all fatigued from it, aren't we? You know, so it's 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 no no blame on anyone if they do. So I don't want to hear about this for a while. You know, um, but it will be a challenge if, if a new variant comes along. How do we encourage loads of people to take the vaccine again? You know, and that might be a bit tricky because yeah. people just don't want to hear about it. You know, as soon as they hear the word COVID, they run a mile. You know, so again, that's going to be a public health campaign issue, I guess. So it doesn't necessarily guarantee that people 
that are more receptive just because they know some of the terminology and some of the science behind it. But again, I, I, would, I would imagine many people want to know this and want to learn about it. And that will then inform them in their decision making in the future, we would hope, you know. One of the early questions was, could this be the big bad one that science tells us is coming? Gladly we learned it wasn't. So what has it taught us in preparation for the big bad one that could come around the corner? Yeah. I think we, we, we've learned really, like, remember there used to be SARS, which predates yeah. SARS-CoV-2. That's the sibling of SARS-CoV-2, you know. That affected the Asian countries mainly, you know. And they then responded much more quickly because they'd been through SARS. They put their masks on more quickly, you know. They restricted travel a bit and that helped them, like countries like Japan, for instance. You know? So in other words, it's like one spit and twice shy territory in a sense, you know. And we're all a bit like that now. We've all been through this. So if the next one is much more dangerous. Now, what that would mean, PJ, is, for example, example, if children were getting very sick, that'd be terrible. And, and you, know, you never know. It's hard to predict these things. So we should know what to do much more quickly next time. And, and one very interesting study I, I, I've been talking about, actually, is uh, whether lockdown was needed instead of debate strains. You know? Yes. And there's no, doubt, there's no doubt if you go hard and go fast, you can stop this thing spreading. So if another one crops up, you might be looking at it. Now, this is the worst case scenario, a six to eight week lockdown to get rid of it. And we now know what to do. You know, we've, yeah. hopefully we've learned from the first time around. And that, and that should, again, protect our people from catching this and getting sick, you know, should yeah. it, should a, a, more, a more dangerous one emerge. So I'm hopeful, I think, I hope you'd agree that we, we, we should le- have learned from this experience, yeah. such that the next next time it happens, we'll be more more equipped and more prepared, perhaps to make harder decisions more quickly. Yeah. Way to think of it. It, it damaged our society so much that we, we, we would want to have learned from it. We'd, we'd be remiss of us not to. Heading into the winter then, we have obviously got still COVID around the place, milder though it is. We've also got a flu season uh, up ahead of us. We have hospitals that are already very crowded. Does it worry you? Well, this is the key question for the HSE, of course, because uh, they're, they're well aware of it, by the way, PG. I mean, they're, they're, they know exactly kind of what the worst case scenario might be in the coming winter. And, and you've hit the nail on the head again. It could be what's called a twindemic, which is flu and COVID might strike, you know. Now, what that means is they're preparing for increased capacity in terms of beds and they're preparing for extra staff. Should the numbers begin to go up, you know. So, again, you have to say, look, the HSE will step up and hopefully make sure we have the necessary health care to help our people should they end up, you know, ending up in hospital with, with either flu or COVID. There's no doubt there will be an increase in flu because Australia, who are ahead of us, they've had a massive flu mm. surge, you see, and we normally follow on because they're, they're, their seasons are in, in, in different to ours. They've had their winter and there was a big increase in flu. Yeah. So we can expect a big increase in flu. And secondly, we can see more cases of COVID. And now it's just a matter of uh, preparing for that and making sure the health system is robust enough to, to cope with that. And, and they're well aware of it. You'll, you'll see statements from Colin Henry, who I know, I know you've spoken to over, over the months, that they know this is coming, you see, yeah. and they're getting ready ready for it. So again, we've got to wish them all the best and, and hope that they manage to implement these things should, should, should these events happen, you see. Lastly, Luke, I got a copy of your new book in the post last week. We'll talk about it in the weeks to come. Uh, what makes us human? Right. Good luck with it. Thank you very much, Fiji. I'd love to talk about that. And it's not about COVID. There's a relief. There you go. Talk about something else. <laughs> Luke O'Neill, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much, Fiji. Always one of the stars of the COVID discussions. He was always positive, no matter how dark the day. Uh, Luke O'Neill was always positive. Thanks, Luke. 0818 96 96 96. Premier League Live back this weekend. 
on 96fm.ie with Trevor with you Saturday from midday powered by TalkSport this weekend Arsenal v Spurs London Derby that's at 12.30 Saturday Liverpool against Brighton at 3 West Ham v Wolves at half past 5 the Premier League live online brought to you by Harvey Norman your home of the big screen it's on the Cork's 96FM app open up your app and you'll see the little block there for Premier League Live or go to 96fm.ie The lines are live and we're ready to talk Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM 0818969696, the number. The text to WhatsApp is 083 And the email, opinion at 96fm.ie. That is the best way to contact us out of hours. If you're listening to us on podcast, and we do about 30 podcasts a week, including the full show, which you get every day at mid-afternoon. Subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts and you'll just get the new one delivered or the new podcasts delivered as we put them up. And of course, if you listen to our overnight, which is a kind of a squashed down version of the show, runs between three and five and you pick that up wherever you are in the world. It's also the best way to contact us. Opinion at 96fm.ie There's a protest on Grand Parade at one o'clock today. Just asked to mention it to you. There's a between 70 and 100 people expected to attend. It's a housing for all protest. Uh, that's on Grand Parade today. Just asked to remind you if you're along and you're wondering what they're doing gathering there, that's what it'll be all about. 0818 96 96 96. Now we've cooked with microwaves, we've cooked with gas, we've cooked with electric, we've cooked on the barbecue, gas or or, or charcoal. You can cook with pretty much anything. Ever try cooking with light? I, I, I'm don't ranting about this. Cooking with light, literally the light, cooks the food. Now the ovens aren't cheap, but they seem to be the latest must-have in a posh kitchen. Jack O'Keefe, TV chef. Have you tried one out, Jack? Have you road tested one? Morning. No, PJ. Would you believe I actually haven't? You know, it's items like this that put that put the, me and the rest of my industry and my trade under a fierce amount of threat. <laughs> <laughs> Reading about this thing, there's one here in front of me, the Brava oven starter set, $1,200. It cooks using light. How the heck does it work? Look... I've been trying to figure it out and I've been reading up on it. Now, in kitchens, like when we say we, we actually do cook under light and we have been for nearly 20 years now at this stage. You know, you're in a, a nice restaurant and you can see the open, what we call the pass, where the chefs are plating yes. the food and they're plating underneath these lights. Yes. Well, for the last few years, we've had these lights, infrared lights, which are really hot and they'll keep the food on the plate warm while the chefs are plating and putting your fancy herbs and stuff onto it. Those lights we can actually pull them down closer to the food. And once you bring them down to like, let's say it's a skinny piece of salmon that's been really thinly sliced with a sharp knife, pull that light down and give it half a minute underneath the hot lights and watch the salmon cook. But it's generating a serious amount of heat. This thing, this the Brava Smart Oven, I'm just looking at its power output. I think if you plug this into the Irish grid, the whole neighbourhood's lights will dim. <laughs> Not to mind your electricity bill, your, your meter will fly off the wall and go, I quit. 
yeah. I'm finished. I retired. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. It's about apparently pulses. It's a pulse of light at the food. Yeah. It's very interesting, and I'd be very curious to actually get my hands on one if Bravo is listening and they would like to send one over from the United States here to Cork. I'll happily test it for them, well, for the Irish market. But it looks very interesting, and I love the smart function, that the fact that you can put onto its tray that you can put, let's say, your entire meal. And I'm not talking about, like, we say we have one pot wonders and it's an entire meal in one pot. This is one entire meal on a tray, but the meal is separated, if you know what I mean. It's not a mix. It's not a stew. Like, you could have salmon fillets. You could have your sugar snaps. You could have your spinach. And you can have your potatoes. All separated, non-touching on the tray. And the oven is smart enough that it knows where the salmon is sitting, where where the greens are sitting, and where the potatoes are sitting. It'll hit the salmon at one temperature. It'll hit the greens at another temperature. And it'll hit the potatoes at another temperature. And they'll all finish cooking at the exact same time. So you can live your busy modern lifestyle that we all have now with our busy jobs and the commuting and traffic and the school run and the piano lessons and everything. And you can just pop this into the oven, press the button. You can, if there's someone else in the house or whatever, I would never leave an appliance on when I leave the house. Yeah. But if you're just popping down to pick, to drop the kids off the GA training or whatever, you can check while you're sitting there, you can open your phone and there's all the information on your oven, tipping away in the house on an app on your phone and you can monitor the temperatures of everything in the oven you can decide to speed it up so if you're coming home even earlier from from wherever you are you can press speed up and it'll hurry everything up so as you're walking in the door it goes ding and your dinner is ready i think that for convenience purposes and like with fads and everything i think that alone might make it worthwhile for some people who live a really busy lifestyle but don't want to sacrifice on the quality of their food it's really interesting to see how it works the only problem is I I suspect the degree in computer science you're going to need to program the blessed (laughs) that's exactly it like it has pre-programmed recipes built into it so and then you press on the touch screen that's built into the top of the oven and on the touch screen you select let's say let's say T-bone steak with chips and it'll say place Place the steaks on the left-hand corner of the tray. Place the chips on the right-hand corner of the tray. Place this on this side and this on this side. You know what I mean? So mm. they have that. But looking at when you're customizing your own recipes, that's when it's going to get complicated. That's when it really is going to get complicated. Um, but it looks very interesting. I seen a video of someone cooking an actual steak in it, and it came out decent enough. Yeah. It was not as good as a frying pan. Well, but thinking, you like, take I mean, it this way. Have you ever put a steak in the microwave? No. Don't you, please tell me you haven't. I'd lose all respect for you. No, I haven't. <laughs> no, no, I have. Nor, nor would I. Like it, it comes out a bit like a wet odor eater. But like, how is this going to be different? <laughs> I look with the microwave. It cooks from the inside out. So, like with a microwave, you can never get a rare steak because it hits the core of whatever is inside it first, and then the heat radiates out from the center. Whereas this hits it from the outside and surrounds it with the heat. The tray that you put the food on is not your normal tray. It's actually a glass tray, which holds the heat and hits the heat so the tray itself almost becomes like a frying pan itself right. but what I've noticed is when you when you look at the results of them cooking steaks on it the side of the steak that's touching the tray is perfectly crispy like I mean ideal brilliant if I saw it in a restaurant I'd be delighted but the other side is beige God. so you get an uneven cut so when you cut into the steak it's still rare and you can program it it'll tell you when your perfectly rare steak is done however it's not perfectly centered a perfect steak is when you have perfect crispy brown on the outside That's light right. brown next layer so when you cut into it it looks like a dartboard almost you know you, you can see all the different colours fading right. into the centre with this it's a little lap yeah. centred we'll say but if what's the difference so, between but this if you then? weigh up the um, 
Sorry, Pro- PJ, go on. No, you're okay. What's the difference between this then and there used to be a thing called a halogen oven? The halogen ovens <sighs> just reminds me of something that you buy when you're after buying a, a, a camper van. Do you know you're after doing a conversion on a van and you're off down to the to Dingle or something. You want something small just to to heat up something. There's not much power out of them. They're just a bit, I don't know, you kind of see halogen ovens. You know when you open up, like uh, if you're looking for a rental property, especially here living in Dublin, you open up you open up a daft and you see 5,000 euro a month plus one kidney and all they have is a halogen oven underneath the stairs on top of your toilet. You know, that's what they just remind me of. But with yeah. this, this is definitely a different league. Yeah, this, it uses, it uses different, money. Kind, different kind of light. It's an expensive, it's an expensive yoke. I, I guess As it's we said, the, like you'll dim every light in the village. It's it's the next big thing, and I think part of its sales shtick is that it's cheap because of the way it pulses the light. Only that will tell in time. Come here, while I have you, Jack, for one minute as we head into winter. And in all seriousness, like we do, still have to cook our food. We do still have to prepare our dinner. How can we do so and save a bit of energy? energy at the same time look home appliances these days are are, are very very good on power um, consumption you know they're not as bad as they used to be now look look at the end of the day your kettle and your toaster are still your big users like you know the kettle takes a serious amount of electricity off the grid especially during the most popular tea times of the evening which is ad breaks at around half six or the ad breaks during the late late show the whole grid gets swamped but like with your domestic cookers look you can't go wrong with a I said it already but like a, a one pot dish if you're doing a one pot dish that means you've only one ring lighting whether you've an electric ring induction ring or a gas ring mm. and as well as like when anyone my friends or anybody knows me will ring me when they're doing when they've bought their house and they're doing up their kitchen they kind of say could you give me advice on appliances while I buy and I know this is a different opinion to most chefs. Nearly every chef will tell you just get gas. But with me, I just tell people just get induction. It, it's it's 20% cheaper to run induction than it is to run gas or a standard electric hob. Yes, they're a little bit more expensive to buy mm. when you're when you're starting out. But in the long run, you're, you'll see your electricity bills. We have an induction in our house and I love it. It's accurate. It's seriously powerful. And if you're cooking a one pot dish, you've one big saucepan, you brown off your meat, you take your meat out, you set it aside, use that same pot, don't even wash it, just add a little bit more oil or butter, add your onions, your carrots, your veg, your celery, whatever it is in, return your meat back into it. And then you add in your oxo cube and your hot water, you know, and you just can't go wrong. And then if you wanted, you can actually cook. The, you don't need another pot of boiling water to cook your potatoes or your pasta. You can actually cook them straight in the stock. And it's an amazing result. Mm. It's not perfectly executed restaurant food where you're paying 36 euro for a main course, but it's home cooking. It's what we crave. It's what we want. It's hearty. It's warming yeah. and it's delicious. Yeah. And that's my advice. Just use one pot, one ring. You're saving on using the dishwasher as well, which is another bonus. You know, you're saving on the mess of the tea towels and all the different tea towels you go through because you have multiple frying pans, oven trays. You're going to have at least two dirty tea towels, which will need to be washed. So you're always kind of thinking ahead that way. And what's the, the collateral damage of me doing these complicated dishes at home? Yeah. You know, especially when you're rushing with a busy lifestyle, you're going to be making a mess and so on. There's more to clean up and everything. So you're preserving power, but you're also preserving your own power and your own energy by going simpler with meals. And as well as that, you also have like, just use your oven more smart, you know, uh, don't preheat it for as long. Like think of recipes where you can literally put the food in and then turn the oven on and have it cooking while the oven's heating up. Because you know yourself, when you, you, you look up your favorite celebrity chef's recipes and it'll say preheat oven to 220 degrees for 30 minutes before cooking. That's a serious amount of electricity to get that oven that hot. You know, so you have to kind of, 
you know, start, I always tell people, like, it's fine me telling people recipes, but do you understand the recipe after I t- say it to you? The thing is, you need to understand what you're doing. And I always try and teach people and kind of inform people on a technique rather than a recipe. And that way you have a more understanding of the method. And when I say, like, methods, I mean, you know, in classical cooking, we have frying, poaching, boiling, braising. You know, there are classical techniques. And once you master one, you kind of know what meats need what attention. You know what I mean? There's some YouTube is a great asset for most budding home cooks and foodies and you can learn so much off it and so many different things and you see chefs who are two three michelin star chefs and what they actually cook for their kids and their family at home and how they think outside the box again to balance that busy lifestyle with really good tasty food is very important and um, yeah that's yeah. my big long waffly answer no i think question. i think it's <laughs> i think you're, you're you're spot on as much one pot stuff as you can do and get it all in the one pot and you're coming into winter there's nothing more warming than a big stew so you know like a risotto it's the it's the hero of the one pot wonder you cannot go wrong with a risotto I love I'm one of these people that suffer very badly from the winter blues I'm a summer head and the minute the leaves start to change colour and I can feel that bite in the air like there is today I just get down but then I remember, oh yeah, pumpkins and risotto. It's pumpkin and risotto season. <laughs> and I just start eating risotto and I'm, I always make way too much. Just like everybody, chefs, we make way too much risotto. Like I'm see, it's always nice. people. It's, it's nicer the next day then because it's, it's been sitting oh. in its own juices overnight. Have you ever tried deep frying it, the leftover risotto? No, there's a game changer. So when you've leftover risotto the following day, take yeah. that cold risotto out of your fridge, yeah. mix some more, don't heat it up, mix some more grated cheese into it. Just a handful of cheddar or parmesan yeah. or mozzarella, whatever you have. Roll it into balls in your hand yeah. and then dip it in and then roll that in breadcrumbs. Oh, you can get leftover bread, blitz it up or chop it up, roll it and drop it into hot oil. And it's called arancini. PJ, it's a game changer. Oh, my God. Like, it'd be the reason. If I, if I got a phone call now saying, uh, oh, you're going to have to put on five stone in two weeks for this roll. I'm like, oh, Arancini, here I come, baby. <laughs> There's always the kicker in the end. Jack, thank you, as always, Jack O'Keefe, a TV chef and a four of greens here in Cork. Carpent through and through, living in Dublin now. Um, on the new Cooking with Light, the Brava oven, it's going to be the next big thing, no doubt about it. But how to preserve energy this winter. Go out and buy a book of one-pot recipes, I think is probably the best bit of advice. 0818-96-96-96. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With Tusla Fostering. Now seeking foster carers for short and long-term emergency and respite fostering in Cork. See fostering.ie. Cork's 96 FM. They're all gearing up down in Ballycotton for their comedy festival, the second annual comedy festival, which kicks off tonight and runs until Sunday. And crowds expected in East Cork for the weekend. The organiser and director of the festival is John Kidney. So, John, you're probably close to sold out at this stage across the weekend but we'll talk a bit about Ballycotton as an event venue maybe but first to the festival itself second year and some big names in there yeah no it's great to get to the second year uh, like the like the second album but it's looking <laughs> fairly good at the moment um, it was a concept for it basically to um, not just about Sea Church but the actual village of Ballycotton itself and how ideal it is for um 
smaller um, concert or smaller um, events yeah. uh, such as this, boutique events, I suppose. So it's not just us, it's the Blackbird and our sister venue as well, the Kush. Yeah. So we've got some lovely events, like Blind, Blind Boy Boat Club is doing his podcast on Thursday night. Uh, then we have the uh, opening gala in the Blackbird, back in the Rune Room, which is a lovely room at the back of the Blackbird uh, bar in the middle of the village. Yeah. And then we're kicking on from there. So we've got uh, the uh, closing gala, or sorry, the closing gala on Sunday with the likes of Deirdre Kane, Chris Kent and Stephen Mullen. Yeah. Uh, Saturday, we've got a full day with, uh, let me see, we've got, the Sea Church Domain Show with with Laura Lex, Joe Do, Joe Downing, Nicky Bartlett, and uh, Ross Brown. Andrew Maxwell follows that at ten thirty. Then in Sea Church, we in the Blackbird, we've got the Future Ghost, and we've got which is loads of up and coming um, future comedy stars all yeah. going well. And uh, the brilliant Adam Burke is down from Dublin as well. Yeah, yeah I was just looking at the lineup. It's it's impressive. I see that Rogue Brown. Popping up, everywhere, popping up Peter, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> everywhere. And I have flipping every single, like, he's after writing all the flipping, uh, he's after writing all the explanations of the gigs and before his name every single time is amazing. Yeah. You know, you have a legend like Andrew Maxwell down there, it's just Andrew Maxwell and then you have the amazing Ross Brown. Yeah. All the yeah, yeah, I know. Definitely. You should try working with him. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 no, but it is. It is. It's a great lump. And like you said, Ballycotton lends itself beautifully to events like this. But is it, Am I imagining this, John, or did the village did it just come into its own in the last couple of years? Is it is it a, a secret that was waiting to be discovered or something? A secret that was waiting to be discovered and investment by a by a, a, a local, not just not just the local man in Pearson, but the actual the buy-in of the whole village itself. You know, yeah. just to see the potential and the, the jewel that it is. You know, in East Cork. Um, you know, and putting it up to West Cork there and just trying to get people to turn left instead of right, you know, yeah. as they come down to Dunkettle, you know. Yeah. That's their that's our aim, you know. Yeah, and it's it's succeeded. Seed Church in particular. Let's talk about that for a second. I mean, when you look at the names that have been there in the yeah. last twelve months alone, like international stars are coming to Seed Church. Yeah, it's brilliant. Is, is that what brilliant. you always dreamed of for it, John? For the venue, absolutely, yeah. I suppose the dreams are one thing and trying to make it a reality is another thing. But um, I suppose the Irish music industry are brilliant anyway. Um, and they've been through such a hard time. Um, and just the thought of getting to play gigs and concerts again has been massive. But uh, we've been quite a, a, a lot of luck and a lot of hard work. And we've got some very, very uh, amazing names this year, such as Donovan, Gavin James, yeah. we did our TV recording last week with the likes of Waterboys and Jerry Fish, yeah. the Blizzards to name but a few. So, um, yeah, it's been very exciting and uh, a very interesting and brilliant place to work. Yeah, it's a lovely venue. It's a special kind yeah. of a venue. It is indeed, yeah. It's, um, I suppose... It's the it's it's an old Presbyterian church, uh, but the beauty about that is that it's not too big. Yeah. So the acoustics don't get lost in the place either. So everyone that comes down, they, it just everything just stays in the venue. You know, it's it's lovely. It's yeah. really good. A church, particularly a small one, has a a natural reverb which musicians love. Yes, it does indeed. It does indeed, and that's that's the feedback we're getting anyway. So um, if one person says it, yeah, you might think, oh, they're just being nice, but everyone seems to say it to us. So it's great to hear. Yeah, and the, the town itself, the village itself, because of its attractiveness as a festival venue, it thrives. The pubs thrives. The hotel thrives. Everything thrives. 
Everything, yeah, everything tries, and we've got a few. We've got a few nice things coming up now in the future. Uh, ourselves and the Gary Vaughan Bayview Hotel are going to be working together with uh, both concerts through the winter. So the, the Bayview will be staying open for Saturdays, which is which is a first for the village. Nice. Um, so we, we're we're going to be packaging concerts with uh, rooms in the Bayview, and vice versa. Then for the for the summers with weddings and stuff, uh, we'll be we'll be turning our venue over to um, to the Gary Vaux for weddings and stuff like that. So oh, so uh, you can actually get married at the Sea Church? Oh, yeah, we've we've had a number of weddings already, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fabulous. And the, I, I did that, made that decision earlier this year. We were out for Sunday spin, and rather than turning west, I said to the missus, come on, we'll we'll head east, we'll head to Ballycotton. God, the place, when the sun shines, when the sun shines, John, the place is gorgeous. It's amazing, but it, it brings its own mystery as well when it when there's a when there's a gale blowing as well. You know that's that wildness as well. That you know sometimes you do get down around East Cork and you can sit and look at it and think, isn't this an amazing country? You have that you have that all along the coast, coast obviously. Like, but it's a it's a beautiful spot. Yeah, to be treasured, and I think but Indeed. festivals festivals and events like this they're long overdue. But it's great to see them and great to see them thriving. John, good luck with the festival. I'm sure it'll it'll sell out, and we'll talk again in the future. Thanks very much. Uh, Ballycottonevents.ie is the website to go to, or just ring the venues and we can help you out. Sound down. Thanks, BJ. Bye-bye. Now, lots of people go and do career changes, or pivot is the the word that, that we use nowadays. Imagine spending 30 years in the guards working as a crime scene investigator on the scene at serious crime for 30 years, and then using that first-hand knowledge of the worst that can happen to people and the worst that can happen to places and things and turning that into a way of coaching us into resilience and coaching us into dealing with the fragility of life, which is a big title. That's exactly what Kieran Pryor is doing and will begin doing a TEDx Tralee on the, October the 6th, which is coming up soon. A crime scene investigation. Fascinating line of work. I'd like to say that uh, Kieran joins me on the line right now. Morning, Kieran. Good morning, PJ. Good to have you. Um, first and foremost, crime scene investigation. I've always wanted to ask someone who's actually done the job. Should we take any notice of the television show? <laughs> PJ, um, we very similar in many ways, but not just as glamorous. There's no um, highfalutin technology like that. All our technology is handled by the Forensic Science Laboratory up in Dublin, Forensic Science Ireland. We don't have the fancy uh, swipe screens or, or virtual reality type reconstructions. I'm afraid it's a bit more basic, but a lot of the things you see would um, would be utilised by ourselves in terms of use of DNA. Um, uh, retrieving DNA samples from scenes, retrieving fingerprints, but not just in the in the high tech uh, virtual reality type glamorous um, scenes as portrayed on on yeah. the TV. And you, and you certainly won't do it in a running time of forty two minutes either. It takes a bit longer. No, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I might absolutely. listen, Kieran. I might try and clean up that line if you would. I'll put you back on to, to Fergal there. See if we can't clear it up a little bit because I want to have a, a, a conversation for a few minutes with talking to to Kieran Pryor about his life as a crime scenes investigator and now he's how to pivot that into talking about resilience. Just a few things. That cruise liner, which is in Cove today, 
Uh, Jackie's cruise page on Facebook, Jackie's cruise page Cove, she's getting a tour of the ship today and she's going to be able to take photographs. And there's already photographs up on her Facebook page. It is an enormous thing. An enormous thing entirely. A few more that I'll get to. Uh, Can I go back to Kieran? I think I can. Let's try this again. Old-fashioned technology is sometimes the best. So you went in because... You liked the idea of the outdoor life and you liked the variety of, of day-to-day. Variety, certainly, anyway. No shortage of that. No shortage, PJ. No shortage of variety, for sure. Yeah. Um, why, then, did you want to go into crime scenes? I suppose, being fascinated, when I joined the, the Guards first, I worked in Dublin for nine years. And during that time, obviously, being in a, a big urban environment, and more than Cork there yourselves, you're, you're just exposed to so many serious crimes and having had that exposure was always fascinated with the element of the the crime scene investigation end of it and the role that that had to play and obviously during that nine years I was at the scene of of many murders and serious assaults, serious incidents and was fascinated with the role that the that the crime scene end of it had to play. So when I moved down then to the Roscommon Longford Division, an opportunity came up 15 years ago to apply for the position of crime scene investigator. We covered that large geographical area mm. and um, I was successful and I suppose I had a I had a kind of a fairly detailed and and um, structured type mind in the way that I would approach things. And, and of course, for a crime scene investigation, obviously going at scenes, that's very, very important, that that attention to detail, an eye for detail. And, and of course, it's the small details that count when you're, when you're processing the crime scene. And I suppose I had that in me to some extent. And then, obviously, that was the... the I suppose that was the, the, the main thing, PJ. As, as a reporter who spent many years following the guards around, as it were, and observing what they were doing at the scene of some awful things, I often felt, Kiron for for the guys going in. It, it can't be easy to walk into a place where people have done terrible things to each other. The first few times must have been really tough. Well, look, PJ, that's true, and there's no doubt, and anybody that says it, it doesn't affect them would be would be telling fibs. And I suppose initially, say as a young guard in Dublin, you're going out to a murder scene, you're guided by your senior colleagues, you're kind of eased into it, you know that you've got a job to do and it just has to be done and you've got to try and put that traumatic situation that you're in. But certainly as a, as a young policeman starting off, it's 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 difficult. But then, of course, by the time I went into crime scene investigation, I'd been exposed to, to death on a on a huge scale, PJ, really. And I suppose you're more ready for it. And the other thing about us going as a crime scene investigator, we would come into duty every morning. And if we had a serious scene with a fatality or, um, you know, a suspicious death or something like that, you're kind of prepared, PJ. You know what you're going to be expecting. So as you're traveling there, you're not having the initial shock that, say, the poor person that would have discovered the body would have had. And then, of course, you've got the benefit of the of the years of experience mm. in dealing with it. But that doesn't take from the fact if you're standing in a room, as I and my colleagues throughout the country have done so many times with, with one fatality or two fatalities or three, you know, it's an incredible thing to stand in a room with, with, with three deceased persons in it and try and process that in your head. But the one thing that we would say, and, and I, I speak for all my colleagues, our focus when we go into a situation like that 
is on the deceased person. Mm. And our duty is to them and our duty is to their loved ones to really, they're not going to thank us to get emotional or get uh, upset about what we're looking at. Our duty is to them to find out if anything firstly untoward happened to them and if it did well then to retrieve the evidence that will ensure that justice is done for the for the family and the deceased so that's the way we, we kind of cope with it PJ you know I remember speaking to a, a guard there contacted mine back in my reporting days who'd been on a scene like that you know and and he was quite shaken and, and white coming away from yes. me I said are you alright he said yeah. yeah I said he said I will be I will be he said I just need to find out what happened to that poor little Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And that's the driving force and motivation for all of us that work in, in crime scene investigation and indeed the, the Gardaí that are, that are on the investigation team. That's the motivation that, that drives everyone. And, you know, you're kick, clicking into gear. When this serious thing happens, everybody's on that mindset. You're part of a team and you just, your duty is to do that deceased person and their loved ones and that's really all that counts you know you're you're a family man Kieran. is it hard to bring the job home and leave it in the car pj um look at i suppose that's the the vital thing you just have to do it for for your own sanity because if you start carrying around that with you and and that's you mentioned the car and that's where i would you know, on the way home with colleagues or whatever, we might finish at the scene and we'd be having a chat about general things and that's where you're you're letting it ease away from your mind. But it's still there in the back of it, but certainly you don't want to be bringing that home. And I suppose, look, we, we think to, as my colleagues have, horrific stuff down through the years, but you've just got to try and, like, you're going to be no good in your job to the deceased or the deceased families in, in getting a, a resolution for them if, if you're if you're letting it get to you. So you've got to try and process it some way and and let it let it just flow out of the, the system, you know. Is there a constant battle within yourself, Kiron? You've got to build resistance. You've got to build steel as it were, but you must never become hard. Is that a battle within yourself all the time? I suppose, PJ, it goes down to a lot of us would have, you know, we're, we're just used to dealing with people. From the minute we joined the guards, you're dealing with people in traumatic situations and your first thing when you come to them, you've got to listen, you've got to have empathy. And I suppose along with your own personality, that develops through the years. And no, you, you can't become harder, you can't become cynical because... Before I joined the crime scene investigation, I was a family liaison officer. And again, dealing with people who've had trauma and tragedy. And you were the connection, the link between the family with the questions and many times very difficult questions that they would have. And you were the link for the investigation team. So over the years, you you develop that connection, that empathy with the family. And no, really, if you become hardened, really, you, you can't do a good job. Likewise, with the crime scene investigation, you're going out to scenes of, of sudden, it's not just suspicious deaths or, or murders, but we get called out to industrial fatalities, um, farm accidents, every sort of a fatality. And you've got to have the empathy to go there. Your first duty, of course, is to sympathise with the family that you're uh, attending there at this tragedy, this awful event. And they hear that the crime scene investigation units are coming out, but it's just the way 
our society is gone, we get called out to so many events that not necessarily are suspicious, but because of the role that we have, mm. we, we, we get called out. And you've just got to be very careful, firstly, to approach people in the right way, you sympathising with them and ensuring that they understand what your your role there is. Your, for, your first, often your first job, isn't it? Often your first job is to ascertain, well, this wasn't actually suspicious, so we can move on. Exactly, exactly. And again, you know, people live in strange ways, people die in strange ways, and often it could be the case as innocent as someone dying of a heart attack, but as they died on the on the fall down, they might have hit their head off a of a blunt item and, and basically our role it might look straightforward when the guards go out but we will be called out and you're taken into uh, account every circumstances you're looking you get a feeling for scenes of what they look like whether violence has been inflicted and and you know then if we're not sure we call in the state pathologist and the state pathologists do an amazing job. Dr. Mary Casty has recently retired and our That's current right. replacement, Dr. Linda Mulligan and Heidi Ockers. I mean, amazing people, yes. the way they go out. And with Margot Bolster down here as Margo well. Margot there in Cork as well, an amazing woman. And they're all ladies and these are incredible people. The scenes, and I don't need to remind you, PJ or your listeners, the stuff that's gone on in the last few weeks over the um, throughout the country in yeah. terms of tragic events and, and they're there doing their job in an amazing fashion and the, the state owes a real debt of gratitude to them. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about your new line of work, Kieran, but I want to clear a commercial break first. Is that okay? No problem, PJ. Good man. I'm talking to Kieran Pryor, um, career crime scene investigator within Gadda now pivoting to a new line of work. Next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96FM. Back to my conversation with uh, Kieran Pryor. So, Kieran, turning that experience, uh, frontline gather crime scene investigator, into resilience coaching, I guess the first thing to ask you is what is or what have you learned is resilience? Well, PJ, I suppose, look, you mentioned the word pivot, and it is a huge pivot in that um, dealing with this stuff has just given me a level of resilience uh, throughout my life in terms of, of coping with this tragedy and trauma from from such an early stage uh, of the 30-year service, or 32 years as it, as it almost is. It's, it's given me such an insight, and that's basically what the, what the talk at the TEDx conference is it's lessons in life dealing with death and what that has given me is just an insight into how people cope people actually cope with the most amazing um tragedies and misfortune that's been bestowed on them by life and i suppose that's what i've taken from it that that people have a way of coping they 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 eventually get there yes there's huge trauma there's huge sadness in what they encounter but to see the way they move on with their lives and and cope with that it's really an example to us all pj and i suppose that this pivot started for me in that i was invited on a regular basis to go into schools to talk to ty students and leaving Cert students about the crime scene investigation thing. Obviously, the initial fascination was with the TV programme and that. But I would give the talks on the CSI angle, but I would also include a lot of, of encouragement, just general encouragement of the kids. I, 
bit of talk about resilience and how to how to cope with it. So that eventually led to invitations to speak at various voluntary organisations and businesses, just in a in a a, a kind of um, general type of way about what I had encountered. So it got me to thinking about the pivot, PJ. I could go on for another seven years. Um, but I decided just to, to make the the turn and and I managed to, to get a great job with a company called the Super Generation who do that, go into schools and the education sector and give talks on, on leadership, resilience and study skills. So I, I've made the turn and um, it's amazing how things have fallen into place. You, you often hear of people juggling with a life decision, but... Uh, there is no doubt when you act with boldness and, and kind of make a, a decision, you know what, when you commit, life kind of commits for you, you know, boldness kind of has genius, magic and power in it, to, to, to quote from, from Stephen Pressfield's book, The, the War of Art, and, and it's so true. Once I made that change and made the decision, yeah. um, it, things just opened sure. up for me. You, and you, I, you've, you've hung up the cap, as it were, and, and, and you're, are you wearing I, another hat it's, now. It's still, it's still half on the hook. PJ, I have a few days left and coincidentally, in an amazing twist of fate, the actual TEDx talk on the 6th of October falls on my last day in the in the force so uh, well, it's, well, it's, 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 a, it's a kind of a neat um, a neat um, well, <laughs> yeah, I wish you event. a long and happy and healthy retirement um, my own dad retired from the force in, in 89 and, and we oh had, wow and we okay. had him we had him until 2018 so maybe oh, a long wow, and happy wow, and healthy well, retirement thank you Thank you, PJ. I just have to make one little mention in relation to the TEDx talk, PJ. It's not just about me. There's an incredible lineup of speakers, and I'm just a small cog in it. There's 13 others, and the range of topics that they're discussing, I, it's really, really going to be an incredible event. And I have to give a big shout out to your own native, Sharon McCarty. Sharon's one of my fellow speakers at the TEDx, and Sharon is speaking on autism and adult autism, and she's been an advocate for that. So, I, think just, I may uh, well have spoken to her previously. On, on, uh, on very on good, very good, very good. And of course, it'll go up on on the website. You'll be able to see the talks. I look forward to watching your talk. Just come back briefly to yes, one thing did. I want to touch on, Kiran. Um, in terms of working with with kids, and you know, we're 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 both older men, as it were, at this stage. Yes, I certainly would hate to be trying to deal with teenage years with the pressures of the modern world. Would you agree with me? Yeah, it's tough stuff, PJ. And I think that what I'm seeing going into schools that that, and indeed outside an adult life as well, there's a kind of a general air of anxiety around that people are getting as hard to put their finger on. And I attribute some of it definitely to the speed in which our life is progressing forward. We're now exposed to a huge amount of content via our technology, and it's coming at us at such a, such a pace that I think there's a general layer of anxiety about the sheer volume. I mean, our, our minds evolved from 50,000 years ago to dealing with things in a certain way, and it's just the last 10 years that this onslaught has hit us in terms of content and information. I mean, we're exposed on our phone every day to trauma and tragedy from all across the world. We're looking at stuff playing out minute by minute, tragedies in the US with shootings, um, natural disasters worldwide that we would have never known about in my father's time or your dad's time. It just wouldn't have come into our consciousness. So 
this uh, content is coming at us and it's sucking us in to distressing stories around the world. And I think that's contributing to um, a general kind of feeling of anxiety around the place. And I suppose that's what I do. I highlight that uh, element of it to to the youngsters when I'm talking to them and Mm. try and give the encouragement that, you know, things will be okay. And again, the ancients, the ancient Greek and Roman philosophers had a great outlook on this type of stuff in that, they basically advocated worrying only about what's in your control and not right. what's out of your control. And the UK, old advice you know? is the best. And you know, Kieran, I hope we'll get an opportunity to speak again. I wish you the best in your retirement. I wish you luck with the TEDx talk and every good wish for the future. It's been an absolute privilege to speak with you today and I wish you well. Likewise, PJ. Thanks very much. Thank you. That's Kieran Pryor. And follow him on TEDx. You'll, you'll get all those talks on TEDx after the 6th of October. That's it. Busy day. See you tomorrow, just after nine. The Two Grand Minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. Cash! Cash! The Two Grand Minute. On Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96FM. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.